0: My mom cooked from scratch. I grew up in Blacksburg, Virginia, which is, you know, a rural area. We always had big gardens. And maybe just back then, everybody ate whole foods. You didn't take shortcuts. You used the flour, the sugar. That's how I learned to cook. And I believe in cooking that way because I think it's healthier.
1: Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, their stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have Victoria Brown Mullaney, chef and lodge manager for the renowned Lodge at Black Pearl in Dorchester County. In addition to hunting, fly fishing, and growing oysters, Vicky picked up her pen and authored The Lodge at Black Pearl Cookbook, Raising and Feeding a Hunting Family. It's been featured in recent editions of Ducks Unlimited and Sporting Classics magazines. So welcome to the podcast, Vicki. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, I just want to say I'm so psyched that you're here, not only because you brought us coffee and chocolates, that will certainly put you at the top of the (laughs) podcast guest list, but your cookbook is exceptional. The photography, the
0: recipes, the stories. Thanks. I mean it's my first attempt and my husband encouraged me to write it five years ago and I didn't really feel like I had the experience in the voice. So I waited and started two years ago.
2: So um, when you when you say you waited, did did someone just bring you the experience and the voice in a basket or no, you
0: know, after After four seasons of Running the Lodge, I just felt like it was time. Men who come and hunt with us would send these amazing thank you notes, handwritten notes, Mm. talking about the food and the experience of the family. All of our family works together to pull off all the hunts. Mm -hmm. Um, It's truly a family place, and I think they appreciate that. So as the notes started coming in, I started thinking, I can do this. (laughs) You
2: you totally can, because it doesn't look like a first time out kind of book. Thank you. Clearly you knew what you were doing right from the start because the, well, the best thing about any cookbook is, are the stories. So, like the recipes are kind of secondary only because if I want to know how to make – unless it's a special recipe, which we'll get to. But you know, if I want to learn how to make ham and cheese, I can just go to you know, how to make ham and cheese in Google and it will say, take some ham, take some cheese. Why are you asking me these questions? How do you, how do you weave the stories into the recipes or did you do it together?
0: You know, that was a little bit of a challenge. Mm. I actually had help trying to do that with the editing because they're two distinctly different things. And mm. I would go up. We live, we have, the farm is 850 acres, and we have a house, my husband and I have a small house that we renovated, and then we have two lodge buildings. So that picture in the book of that long table, Yeah. I'd go up there after the season was over and sit down at the table with my coffee where it was really quiet and i just write. And I had a lot to say about raising kids and, you know, having them spend time outdoors, et cetera, et cetera, that I would just get on these tangents and write and write and write. Right. <laughs> and so that really doesn't lend itself to a cookbook, right? Mm. Right. Uh, you know, when I combined the recipes with the text, that's where, for me, I couldn't bring it together. So Nathan Melman at Goosepin Press, which is in North Carolina, was able... To work with me to help break that up and weave right. the stories throughout the book.
1: And I think that we ended up achieving that. Oh, I think so. Absolutely. There's one of the recipes early on that's named after the marine biologist who visits your place. And in that story, you say, This guy drove 45 minutes when he heard that we were making these cinnamon rolls. He was like, Okay, I'm coming over right now. The recipes. Like Tony said, the recipes are one thing, but that little story that you give as a header before each one is why this thing is special to me. What is, why do I make this thing? Why is it important enough for me to put it in this format? But it's also like a bit of an endorsement. It's so good that people will drive for miles around just to come eat this thing. Yeah, Actually, that's worth making. Rich, but definitely. Mm. Right.
2: How did you get involved with hunting? Because we were talking beforehand and I got the impression that you weren't a hunter from way back.
0: No. So I fell in love with a hunter <laughs> and I used to go with my husband and his daughter, Erin, and Aaron and I would drink hot chocolate in the blonde and watch and take pictures and i tell that story about Stephen shooting a duck and it landed on the ice and we were freezing. Aaron and I just wanted to go home and we convinced him to go out and get the duck. You know, he has waders on, so he started trudging out and he stepped in a hole and his waders filled up with water. I didn't understand the severity, but by the time he got back to us, he did retrieve the duck. By the time he got back to us, steam was just everywhere. You could hardly see him and he... You know, he said to me later, I didn't think I was going to make it back. You wow. know, his yeah. body had started to freeze up. My first comment was, oh, that duck cut down in its prom. And, <laughs> you know, it, that did not go over well. But the second time I went, you go out before sunrise, you watch the sunrise, and it's just a beautiful time of the day as the birds bank. The sun shines and reflects off their breast. It's it's beautiful. And it's quiet. Our kids, I think, have an appreciation of what it means to be quiet. I mean, I was aunt computer games, etc. when they were little. Yeah. They spent a lot of time outside. At this point in their 20s, they don't really care if they shoot anything or not. They go out because they love to be outside. They love to watch the wildlife. Right. So that's success. So after that initial time, I started hunting and shooting when we had kids when we started having the, the other four kids. Um, Stephen again, insightful as he is, thought that it would be good that we all had activities we could do together. Yeah. And when we had three sons right in a row, he said, you need to do this. Yeah, and you chose hunting over stock starting. So over over we shoot sporting already. clays together as a family. You know, we go on these family hunts. We have a blind on the farm that's called the family blind and it will accommodate all of us. My grandchildren... Are just starting to hunt. Mm. You, know, you have that split time thing once your kids get married and you have to share with the in laws. But because we have the hunting lodge and her husband is hunting and her kids are hunting now, they come to us every year. <laughs> <laughs> so it couldn't have worked
2: it's out the better. Best way to get Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. So you keep guests through the whole winter time. And I guess that's what makes the food important. It's like, I'm going to go make myself as uncomfortable as possible. And when I come home, what's going to keep me from being super grumpy? For very long when I get there, how close is that? So
0: important. (laughs) It is important because it's cold outside, and we have a lot of uh, older men that come to hunt with us. They're cold, so you know. There's hot coffee. There's definitely something sweet, warm, right out of the oven when Mm -hmm. they come back, and then hearty appetizers, soups. I love to cook in the winter. I've always loved. To cook in the winter, and somebody asked me at one of my book engagements, "What's your forte?" And my fortes are soups and stews. And my son said, "You can't say that. You know, I, in the winter you can keep things on the back porch." So I have three or four pots of stews and soups, and the cookbook really runs the gamut. You know, it starts with. What I call instead of breakfast, meals before sunrise, Mm -hmm. because the day starts for us very early. I get up at three something or four. You know, it runs through appetizers, soups and stews, lunch buffet, vegetables, uh, and side dishes, entrees, and then, you know, finishes up with desserts. Hearty food is important, and I'm used to cooking for boys mm. who have played sports and eaten a lot. I found the first three years that I had way too much food, You know, and these men are all watching their <laughs> what they uh, eat, right. and I'm sure their wives don't allow them to have bacon because the bacon disappears. I have right. bacon sandwiches before they go out. They asked for them. Most of our hunters come back year after year. and um, <laughs> The only place I'm
2: allowed to eat, eat bacon wh- is Dorchester County, Maryland.
0: <laughs> I'm, t- I'm telling you, I once put six pounds of bacon, fried six pounds of bacon, and put it on a platter on the bar when they came in, and they s- sat there and ate it with their fingers. And it was gone in 20 minutes. That's a lot of bacon to go in 20 minutes. I'm telling you, it's <laughs> like crazy.
2: <laughs> I'm I'm sure that you did an excellent job for your children, but when... It's your job. Do you feel like you want to turn it up a little bit? You know,
0: it's, well, h- yes, absolutely. And I continued to turn it up. I did not go to culinary school. But when I married my husband, and he likes to eat good food. So I went from, and I talk about this in the book, eating ling cuisines for one, which, you know, when you're by yourself, you don't care what you yeah, eat. Yeah, it's peanut butter and, and crackers, I could, you know? I could eat anything. To preparing appetizers. And my kids grew up, they used to say, so mom, what's the starter? Uh. It's like, maybe I did something wrong. But I started cooking in a big way. And I continue to cook. Most people make two recipes out of a cookbook they either receive or purchase. My cookbooks look like they've, they've been through a war. They are all earmarked. Some of them are double earmarked on both the top and the bottom. I write in the margins what day I made it, who ate it, what their reviews were how i changed it how i would change it for next time whether you know it's a good or bad worth making again over the years it's allowed me to come up with my own recipes basically yeah. french cooking is where i focus and since we bought the lodge i practice french cooking all the time i cook i've cooked through the cordon bleu cookbooks if you can make french food you can make anything
2: because it's exacting
0: yes the techniques that are required mm. when you know, you can make cook au ven, I call it French chicken in there. Um, that recipe's in my book. It takes three days for me to make that. It's chicken stew, you know. Right. I mean it's not like it's a it's a not a fancy recipe.
2: But, but the process is the
0: process Is and so that all the French, you know, were sauces, the pastries. What I found you couldn't just open a French cookbook and make dinner in three hours, it took days or hours with the stocks and sauces. And so that's really allowed my cooking to improve no matter what I cook.
2: One of the things uh, I want to ask about about your family because one of the things that we do at our family is. Uh, we have we have I guess what would you call a gentle critique like when you know, when my wife tries something new, it's always because you said you make notes about it you know, oh, next time a little no. more salt, next time a little less pepper or or whatever it is. Um, is that is that is that no, no. like how your crash test dummies learned to uh
0: No, you know, in our house my my husband sets the bar there and mm-hmm. it's just honesty, is the best policy. And I can hear things one time, you know, maybe he didn't like that, (laughs) but he makes sure that I know that he's, so he's not going to see it again. So he may say it three times, but the kids, everybody tells the truth. It doesn't hurt my feelings. And even when I test recipes, we just had friends over for dinner last week. I made three new recipes Mm. and I said, look, I need you to weigh in.
2: It was a dessert
0: that I completely made up by combining different things and it's going to be a keeper it was delicious. I said, you need to weigh in. I need an honest opinion. Right. So, you know, we have thick skins mm. that are, and I have a thick skin.
2: <laughs> the point is though, that the family does pitch in about what they like. They're a good barometer for what can they, they are. go you know, for other the people. Is
0: there are a lot of shellfish recipes in here? I'm allergic to shellfish. <laughs> That's wonderful. So I make something and I talk about this. There's a crab cake recipe I just there's a restaurant near us on uh, Hooper's Island called Old Salty's, and when people would come to see us the first four or five years that we lived there, we always took them there one night for crab cakes because according is to li- my family, yeah. those are the best crab cakes. They use no filler. You're the so f- not the first. Person I kept I've heard asking that from. for the recipe, and I had no luck. I mean, they would not give it up. So I came home and I just. I just made. I kept making them, and when my family would sample them, and they finally I got the nod. This is better than old salties. Oh wow! So
1: we hardly we haven't been there in over a year. I don't think. Well, that's what they get for not sharing. (laughs) Well, you also tell a similar story with the cream of crab soup. You you tell the story of your husband and his buddy. They would always go to crab out and they'd always get this cream of crab and you know she kept saying like hey you want to you know wink wink nudge nudge you know what about that recipe and then one day he hands it to you and it's just yeah he actually gave it to my husband at a dove shoot
0: which was in berlin
1: but it was with a with a hitch right
0: definitely a hitch he lists the ingredients and then you get to the bottom and it just says seasonings (laughs) yeah so in essence he didn't give me the recipe (laughs) so same same thing because i can't taste it i just kept putting things in until I got the nod. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Do you put together the entire season's menu beforehand? And what about menu planning in your regular life affected the way that you arrange the book?
0: I come up with a list of recipes that I'm going to make that season. Mm. And I get the nod that my husband and the kids look over them and say yes or no. And for each Individual hunt. I go back and again. Remember, some of our hunters have been coming to us for six and seven years. I keep a record of what they ate. Get out every because you know, yeah. they don't want to come and eat the same thing. Although I will say that I usually make crab cakes one night because sure. you can't get sure you can't sure. get not, yeah. you can't, get, can't you come know, to the Eastern Shore and not get a crab no, cake, and especially not one that you know doesn't have any breading in it right. at all. Right. So I look back over the records. I mean, I keep notebook every season. And, you know, I write down what I served and other things, how much wine they drank, et cetera, et cetera. I decide based on that list, what I need to serve so that they all have a different menu. I work very hard to make sure that it's enjoyable for everyone, you know yeah. that the food is as good as they can get anywhere else.
1: When I was going through the cookbook, there was like this emphasis on food and the stories why the you know as to why that recipe was important. It's food and conversation, it's storytelling and landscape, and it's very Chesapeake. It is very, it is completely Chesapeake, and it's tough. I mean, these guys are tough. Some of them are in their eighties that come. You know, that is one of the things that speaks to the Chesapeake tradition, you know, wildfowl and game and oysters. And you actually grow your own oysters, which we- when I read that, I was stunned. And I just wanted to ask you, what was the moment in your experience that said, you know, what?
0: I think I'm going to grow, start growing oysters? You know, when we bought the farm... We started to research growing oysters. Aquaculture is huge in Virginia. So I applied for both a water column lease and a bottom lease. It's been great for us. The salinity in the water where we are is perfect for oysters. And I hear that from the the hunters. These are the best oysters
1: I ever have. We always have the raw bar. The boys go in, they pull up the cages. There's something about salt water, I think, that just makes you hungry and thirsty. And at the end of a long day on the water or doing those things, you you are looking for just comforts. Comfort food, And it sort of yeah, sounds that's like true. that's what, what they're kind of bacon and oysters <laughs> and, you know, all these things. I mean, that, that is like, that's comfort food.
2: I'd like to at least touch on dessert because we got dessert brought to us today. We
0: did. That's kind of my signature sweet.
2: Right. I used
0: to make them when the kids were little in school and give them away to teachers as Christmas presents. So I've made them for years. And have you ever had a homemade peppermint patty? I have not. I've never seen them either. You know, it's unique. The farm that we bought was owned by a man named Tom Boggs. And he, Stephen, had hunted there for 18 years as Tom's guest. Tom decided to sell it, and he called my husband and asked him to meet him in Washington for lunch. Um, sure. Stephen went, and that's what it was about. He, I think, wanted the place to go to a family. Our kids had been hunting there. We all lear- I learned to hunt there. That's where I started oh, hunting. That's awesome. So, you know, when your kids are in college, uh, our daughter was in high school, but everybody else was in college or beyond – and you move, they, just, they you know they lose that sense of home. I think. Yeah. But because, and they you know it was a little weird. I think for them at first. But because they had a history of going there every year. I mean, we we used to go after Christmas and stay two or three days and rabbit hunt and duck hunt and just our family. Nobody else was there. We they'd let us use the lodge. So our our kids had the experience of. Being there And they were familiar with it And it definitely feels like Home for everybody now
2: And so um, I want to I want to get to the story Where you make Peppermint patties For no good reason (laughs) Um, and, and, And so Like why not cookies Like that's I think that it gets. I, I hope that it okay, gets. Wait, wait, wait.
0: <laughs> what was your question? Because I completely went off on a tangent. No, that's okay. no, that's I'm totally bad good. about it. No, 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 it's all. You'll bad. edit this out. I will, <laughs> I
2: will. I will ask it another way. So, ask so, the question again. So, some people, some people make cookies to send into the teachers. Some people make candies to send. Into, as you said, few people made peppermint patties. Was it, was it uh, out of a desire to be unique, or is it something that you just like no, to do? You, you know
0: what? It was a recipe that my mom made. So, you know, I mean, I ate lean cuisines when I was by myself, but my mom cooked from scratch. I grew up in Blacksburg, Virginia, which is, you know, a rural area. We always had big gardens. Uh, My grandmother and grandparents had a small farm. And maybe just back then, everybody ate whole foods. You didn't take shortcuts. You used the flour, the sugar, da 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 da, da da That's how I learned to cook. and. I believe in cooking that way because I think it's healthier. I mean, all the processed foods, I think that's um, an issue in the country. I mean, you can eat butter. Your body will burn that off. It knows how to handle the fats and butter and utilize those. But when you get start using hydrogenated this and that, your body can't break it down. So I, I cook... Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. I've always had a big garden. When the kids were little, I didn't want them to have pesticides. I made my own baby food out of the vegetables we grew. And they learned to work. I mean, they helped weed in the garden. They helped pick. So that whole, um, you know, that whole existence, that farm existence, the farm to table movement
2: mm-hmm. that's
0: so popular now. We've lived it. That's always how we've eaten. So when it comes to cooking for the lodge, I. St- Make everything from scratch. There are a few recipes in here where you, you know, there's one, again, for apple dumplings where I use Pillsbury uh, crescent rolls.
1: Right. Well, so you can and get it, it on the table by well, 530. That's right. I say that, but it's
0: it's also good. That's another favorite. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's rare that I take the shortcut. I usually make it from scratch.
2: Right. And, uh hmm. Two, two other things we would like to talk about was uh, the publishing process. How did you how did you get your book published? And then uh, what do you do to promote it? Or what's your – besides being on World Famous Podcasts.
0: Yeah, and we should talk about that since this is what we're supposed to be talking about. I Okay, so once I got this together to a point where I could send it off, and I just thought the sky was the limit. I mean I really felt confident at that point. I sent the book out to Artisan, Schiffer, And Clarkson Potter. So I got my packets together, and in a month, or maybe actually less than that, in two weeks, I got a call from Pete Schiffer in the evening. You know, I looked at my cell phone, it was a Pennsylvania number, I had no idea who it was, and I almost didn't answer it, thinking it was a scammer, you know, or or somebody trying to sell me something. So I pick it up, and you know, he says, This is Pete Schiffer, and I was just over the moon. I mean, then that. I was so excited, just that somebody would recognize we want to publish this, yeah, um, so he sent me the packet, the author's packet, and the contract. and you know, for me, um it wasn't a good deal. there were I couldn't guarantee that the book would come out in the fall. You know, I've already been working on it two years, and it was important for me to get it published before the hunting season. So there was no guarantee. basically, I lost control of the process. Um, another issue for me was that I had to be printed in North America. So I paid more to have it printed in North America, but yeah. I think
2: it's, for <laughs>
0: well, me, I, if, if you can make it farm, happen.
2: farm-to-table book made in China.
0: Yeah. It, for yeah. me, you have to support the businesses here in the country mm-hmm. and also quality is concerned, and also it could be sitting on a shipping container somewhere in there was no guarantee, I think, if you go to China, that it's going to be on time. I've I've waited for things at the lodge, beds that we ordered, et cetera, that have been not delivered for months. So anyway, I I said, thank you very much, but no thanks. And then I talked to... a friend of ours that comes to hunt with us is a French chef in Virginia. He has a restaurant that his father started, and he's actually quite famous. He's been on the Today Show a bunch of times with nice. Kathy Lee and Hoda, and he's a trip. But he is—he pu- had published two books, two cookbooks, and he recommended that I talk to his publisher, which I did, and we met. Um, his name's Jeremy Kay, and he's with Bartleby Press, which is a small publisher. Mm-hmm. Do you know them yep. in Maryland? And um, It was a great meeting, and I think that, um, you know, we could work things out so that, uh, you know, he would pay a portion, I would pay a portion, et cetera. Uh, But, you know, as we got into it, I just—that didn't feel right to me either. So we have another hunting friend named Bob Timberlake who comes to hunt with us. He's a realist artist from North Carolina. Okay. I don't know if you're familiar with that name, but— He has published numerous books, and he uses Goosepin Press, um, Nathan Melman, and he recommended him, and it just worked out that my daughter was interviewing at two schools in North Carolina for grad school, and I went down with her. And so on the way down, I thought, "Mm, I'll call him and see if maybe we can hook up and get together and discuss this, and it worked out. He met me um, at in Wake Forest or at Wake Forest, and, and we hit it off. And he's very particular about the details, about the quality of the book. And I think, you know, definitely for us, high quality. And for me, I wanted a high-quality product. It's absolutely um, gorgeous. Yeah. You you can see we're just ramping up um, for uh, our... The Black Pearl, we are merchandising the Black Pearl. And so we will have a lifestyle brand. And everything um, will be of a certain quality that we'll demand. And most of the products will be sourced in America. Sure. You know, whatever we can, we'll make that a priority. So the cookbook being the first thing that – the first product we have needed to follow those – Set the bar. Yeah, follow those standards. So anyway – it oh, was yeah. a great process. We had a great time working together. We would, we sat on the porch with my computer and talked to him sometimes for eight hours a day as we were re-editing at the last minute. I was adding photos and making a lot of changes to make the book more appealing. You know, so so many of the landscape photos and um, switching out photos in the collages that um, I didn't care for. You know how he had worded things or had mixed things up, but, um, you know, it worked out and it, it was a great, I have to say it was an enjoyable experience F- photographing the food was fabulous, oh, you know, yeah. cause it's the writing process is, um, lonely, you know, you, you've got to be by yourself and I can't work if there's any noise at all. So whether that's, you know, radio TV, people talking in the background, I really require complete silence. So I would, or classical music, I would go up to the lodge and, and just sit there and write or work on the recipes. And, um, when we got to the part, you know, to the, to photographing the recipes, I hired a local Easton commercial photographer, Melissa Grimes guy, and, it was fabulous. She showed up and I think she was overwhelmed, but I have a lot of energy <laughs> and, and she was very expensive. So I had planned to photograph nine to 10 dish nine to 11 dishes every time. So she showed up, I think, thinking she was going to shoot a few dishes. And I, my helper, I have a fabulous sous chef who's been with me since she was 18 years old. And she's got a work, work ethic that's unbelievable. And we just, I mean, we work great together. She, she's really, um, I don't think that I could do what I do without Lauren. So she, you know, after the hunting season was over, she would come over and help make the help prepare the food, we would stage it. I mean, when you pick up a cookbook that's been photographed in New York, they make three cherry pies in a test kitchen, whether it's the Italian test kitchen or the French, you know. I mean, they have all these test kitchens, and they make, a lot of food, and then they the food stylists come in and style it, and they photograph it, and they take the best shot of the three pies. Well, Melissa had one shot. There was one pie. <laughs> <laughs> and we became food stylists, and that was fun. I mean, it just – I went out and bought it. I mean, we have tons of china and linens, et cetera, at the lodge, but I would buy certain things to use as props and – We just, I I thought we became quite good at it, and it was just a fun process. So the dishes would, you know, they would eat whatever they had just photographed while I prepared and brought out the next dish.
1: Oh, that's incredible. And we
0: shot everything at the lodge. It it was fun. It was a blast. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and, and it really does show. I mean, when you're talking about setting the bar really high, I mean, the day that, you know, you and I met and you handed me this cookbook, I mean, I was, it, it is stunning. I mean, it is so well done and the photography is exquisite and the layout is completely on point. And when you're talking about, you know, he him being very particular and attention to detail, I mean, every bit of that is reflected in this. I mean, it's probably on of the, Best ones I've ever seen. I mean, it's just, it's really incredible. So, I mean, (laughs) the attention to detail and that energy that you're talking about, both with the process of writing and with the process of putting a book together and the process of cooking, it seems like you really get energy out of the process of a thing.
0: Yeah. And now I'm on the process of marketing. So, you know, put away the apron, right? And now I've donned the business suit and that's been fun. I'm really ramped up. I've got tons of events coming up. Uh, so much that I got up at three something last night because I, I had three things that I had to uh, respond to, and um, you know I couldn't quite sleep. But it's it the, edit that out. It's huh. been uh, <laughs> it's been a great process. So now I need to bring the energy to that because the book is not on Amazon again. That was a choice that I made
2: so you get for a keep number some of reasons. The money from the well.
0: <laughs> yeah, that and that was you know also one of the issues with publishing. I've spent a lot of money photographing the book. You know the mm. photos are nice, but you pay for that. Yeah. And then um, there's not a lot of money in books. I don't think these days. And Amazon affects that also. And so it takes such a big talk, bite too. I, I'm I'm doing a book signing at the Hyatt Regency Resort. Over over Memorial Day weekend, and I want them to carry the book in the gift shop. And they, because of corp, you know headquarters corporate Hyatt, they need to go through a distributor, which I can appreciate. So I called the distributor; he was a great guy. But he told me, you know, I we used to have eleven employees, and now we're a mom and pop operation. Barnes and Noble is there is no Barnes & Noble in Washington anymore. There were six Barnes & Noble stores in downtown Washington, and they have closed because they cannot afford the rents. He said there's not enough money in books. So, again, it's kind of like the China thing. What can you do as an individual to try to change that situation? I don't think I'm going to change anything. If I can't find something, I resort to Amazon, but I Mm -hmm. always make an attempt to find it at the local bookstore, have them order it or, you know, find it at, you know, if its food or whatever. I look first (laughs) and
1: people probably don't have that time
0: these days. So I can appreciate that. But
1: I think there's also, and we've talked with a lot of authors who've kind of, you know, done that I'm going to do it myself kind of thing. And I think there is a particular value for the customer to to buy something on Amazon. It's a very transactional, it's very flat, it's very static. But to meet the author and to talk with them and to have a face and then you know, to have the book signed, I mean, I think that there's a value to that that you can't get with those places. There's
0: certainly a value on my end, and I'll tell you two quick stories. I have uh, someone bought a book from from me at the Waterfowl Festival to give to a friend of theirs, Johnny Mac was the friend's name. I can remember, son. You know, inscribing the book because that was an unusual name. And I get an email message through my website where you can. There's a, an area where you can contact me um, from Johnny Mac saying he got this book as a gift, and here's the picture of the recipe from my book, and here's oh, his fine. version. And just you know, he had wonderful things to say. Another older. Man, after the reviews came out in Sporting Classics and Ducks Unlimited, I sold books all over the country, Idaho, Chicago, Kansas. It was really fun. And um, I got a a letter or a request uh, for two or three books from a a gentleman out in um, Chicago. And he sent me pictures of himself pheasant hunting with all the pheasant laying in the back of the truck. And I realized, oh, heck, I I used to make a lot of pheasant. When we were in Virginia, we did a lot of upland game bird hunting, pheasant, quail. We don't do that now. So I didn't think of including a pheasant recipe. So I went to my (laughs) old books and to my old notes, and I wrote down three pheasant recipes and sent them to him with his book. And see, he sent me a handwritten note back, and that, you know, that's been the best part about this. I mean, I've gotten handwritten letters—I don't know, maybe ten or twelve so far. But you, it's the connection with people, like you say. You order from Amazon, they slap it in an envelope, and you know, your book arrives in a few days. But so, even though I'm selling it online, there's a connection. You can contact me. Right, There's a mistake in the book. <laughs> you know what? There are no typos. You're so focused on right. And right. I probably shouldn't say this on a podcast, but I'm going to be honest. Mm. There's actually two little issues that we found. And during a hunt, I get a call uh, from one lady, and I get an email from another on the same day. And they are making the black pearls. So you probably didn't catch this if you read through the recipe, mm. but... It tells you, it lists the ingredients and then it tells you how to combine them, but I leave out when to add the peppermint oil. I just didn't add the peppermint oil on the directions. So if Uh anybody is, if anybody has the book and they're making it, add it right after you add the cream cheese. Add the teaspoon of peppermint oil. Um, but they were making them, you know, for Christmas parties and for teachers' gifts, I think. And they didn't, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to? And so they were able to send me an email and I responded right away. So, you know, that wouldn't happen, I think, if the book was sold through Amazon. Right.
2: Do you know another way to get stuff in the mail?
1: If you want a limerick or a haiku, I do.
2: How do you do it?
1: So, if you like the podcast and you like what you hear, you can always visit our website at com. You can click on the Contact Us link or the Contact Us button, and there's a spot there. You can fill out your name, your email address. If you pick a word... Tony will make it into a limerick. I will make it into a haiku. We will put it on a postcard, slap a stamp on it, put it in the mail.
2: we we'll pay a man to bring it to your house.
1: Just like it's 1888.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stephanie. And now's a part of the show where you thank the guests.
1: Well, Vicki, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. Thank you. This has been so wonderful.
2: So What's Your Story was recorded at Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at www.sowhatsyourstorypodcast.com where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And if you like it, feel free to give us a great review.
1: Tell your story.